Now, over all the years that I've been uh, coming here, I usually draw the short straw with some obscure reading or complex issue. Today, though, the theme of the Bible reading that we've just had is uh, that well-known one. It would be useful if I turned that on, wouldn't it? Of the story of the widow's offering. And I'm truly thankful for that because not only is today Father's Day, which is complicated enough, especially when you are a father and have got three kids and grandchildren. I can't remember how many of those I've got, but there's some there somewhere. It's also Trinity Sunday. But we'll just overlook that particular mystery. And so instead we'll have a quiz. Which one of these is the odd one out? Harry Potter, Greta Thunberg, Frodo Baggins, or Lucy, Susan, Peter and Edmund? Anyone got a quick response? Who is Greta Thunberg? <laughs> I will tell you, I will tell you, Joe, in a moment. Greta. Why is Greta the odd one out? Because she's real. She's a real person. The others are all characters of fiction, even though they're played by real people. Now, another question just to think about, and that is, what do they all have in common? And we'll come back to that in a moment. But let's just look at Mark 12, 41 to 44, and two important words. The first is small. She put in two very small coins into the collection plate. So think about small things. Last Christmas, and by the way, we're just 191 days away from the next one, in case you were counting, uh, the I newspaper ran a charity appeal, as many newspapers do. And... Um, that was, theirs was for the Muscular Sclerosis Society and they raised £67,000. Now that's a very small sum compared with children in need or um, uh, comic relief or even today's soccer aid. But look at what the money bought. 72 people benefited from such things as mobility scooters, home adaptations and repairs, wheelchairs, special chairs and beds, respite breaks, furnishings and appliances, driving lessons, exercise kit, laptops. And last, and financially least, one carer had a skating trip and another child carer had a school trip, sorry, of skating lessons rather, and a school trip. And that's all the difference that all those donations made to those people and to those families, those two small sons bought two young people unforgettable experiences that allowed them, for a while at least, to just enjoy being teenagers. Small things can make a big difference. And that is how God works in our world. Now the obvious example from Scripture is the feeding of the 5,000. Andrew came to Jesus, five bread rolls and two sardines with a crowd of at least 5,000 men, probably 12,000 altogether. And Jesus said, thank you, that's enough, that will do nicely. And he broke it and gave thanks. And then afterwards he fed the crowd and had 
12 basketfuls of food waste to find another useful. God can use small resources in big ways. He also uses small beginnings. Everything starts small. Seeds are small. Babies are small. Even big businesses once were often small. The Bible story begins small with a single childless couple whose descendants became a nation. On the day of Pentecost, the Acts of the Apostles says there were 120 believers in Jerusalem. But they looked to a small, not a great return for Jesus' three years of ministry, but they soon expanded to become an international worldwide fellowship. Small offerings, small beginnings. God uses them and he also uses small or allegedly insignificant people. Back to our four. What they have in common is that they were all insignificant people who achieved something great and important. Harry Potter defeated, defeated Voldemort. Greta got world leaders thinking about the environment. Frodo destroyed the ring that corrupted all its other possessors. Lucy, Susan, Peter and Edmund helped destroy the white witch's power in Narnia. No one is too small to make a difference. You may have heard that phrase recently because it's the title of a book published of Greta Thunberg's speeches. And for those who don't know, and Joe's benefit in particular, she's a 16-year-old Swedish schoolgirl who started a one-person school strike to draw attention to the effects of human-accelerated climate change. And that action caught on across the world. And Greta is not someone who sucks up to people in power. Jeremiah-like, she told an international conference, I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. And then, I want you to act. And remember, Greta is autistic. And she's been lampooned for that on social media. But autistic people are not handicapped or insignificant. They're often highly gifted and focused. And in God's kingdom, no one is too small to make a difference. It's why Jesus welcomed and encouraged children. Paul wrote, God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses He chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. So the boy David used his simple skill to defeat the lumbering giant who was terrorising the Israelite nation. Jeremiah was young, inexperienced, he was prone to depression and yet he spoke truth to power. Moses was a murderer on the run, a stuttering man who couldn't face public speaking and yet God used him to liberate slaves from Egypt and to organise a rabble into a nation. 
And when that nation bemoaned its own smallness and its weakness in the face of all the other nations, he stated a gospel principle way before Jesus' time. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous or talented than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you that he brought you out and redeemed you. And God says that to us. He has set his affection on us, not because we're, we've got something special and different to others, we're just special to him because he loves you. So, you, and Paul reminded us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we got better, but while we were still in need. And so you could be sitting there thinking, there's nothing much that I can give. I haven't got anything to offer. And God says, that is a lie. I've missed out. I've been held back. I have limited abilities. Struggling to survive. And there's nothing that I can do. And that, says Jesus, is a lie. You've got two copper coins. You've got a few stones and a sling. You've got five loaves and two fishes. And above all, you're alive. You can send a card, give a hug, listen to someone, pray. Just live for Jesus where you are and you've got the Holy Spirit the energizer the gift giver who takes small things small beginnings small people small offerings and multiplies them and magnifies them now here's a test where in the book in the Bible is the book of Zechariah. Probably few of us have ever read it, but it's at the back end of the Old Testament. And it dates from the 6th century BC when the Israelites had returned to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon. They were trying to rebuild their ruined temple. They were few in number. They had few resources. The task was getting on top of them and they were giving up. And probably most of us have felt like that sometimes. Zechariah came to them and he said, Who dares to despise the day of small things? And eventually that temple was finished because lots of ordinary people with few resources all worked together. And we've just recognised that in the celebrations of D-Day when lots of people came together and made a difference. It's the principle of every member ministry, which is the foundation of this church. 
in the body of Christ, the church, everyone has a role to play in God's kingdom. The small difference that we make, whatever it is, adds to the small difference that somebody else makes. Who dares despise the day of small things? So God loves small things, ordinary people, because then he demonstrates his power. As Zechariah said, it's not by human might, nor by organisational power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Or if you prefer the apostolic version, Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong, because God has said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So give him what you have, your two small coins or whatever it is, and just see what God can do. But don't sit back and say, there's nothing I can do. But I said there were two words that um, uh, to highlight in this reading. The first was small, but the second is everything. Jesus said she put everything into the collection plate that she had. That is commitment. That is love. And we're not good at commitment in this society, and we're not that good at love. We tend to limit it. We like to keep our options open. We like to stay in control. Business guru and Greenbelt speaker Charles Handy once wrote that without commitment there can be no sense of responsibility. And without that commitment anything goes. We're on a slippery slope without it. You've probably heard before of the billionaire who threw a drunken party and promised a million pounds or his daughter's hand in marriage to anyone who would swim the length of his pool in his mansion. The only problem was it had a hungry shark in it. And after a stunned silence there was a loud splash and a man was swimming for his life across the pool. And as he hauled himself out on the other side with the shark snapping at his heels, the billionaire praised him and said, well, which do you want? Do you want a million quid or do you want to marry my daughter? And the swimmer growled, all I want is to find out who pushed me in. (laughs) We're not good at commitment. The widow had every reason to be cautious. There was no social welfare to draw on. There was no food bank. There was little work she could do. She probably didn't have her family living close by. But she put her dinner money in the plate. It wasn't spare change. It wasn't her regular standing order. It wasn't a chunk of her non-existent savings. It was everything that she had. Look at our four heroes again. Harry was often within an inch of death. Greta sees addressing climate change as more important than even succeeding at school. Frodo went to Mount Doom without a hope of getting back. 
and Aslan needed the children if the white witch was to be defeated. The idea of personal sacrifice runs through literature and it runs through scripture. The tax collector Zacchaeus, so grateful that Jesus accepted him, he not only paid back what he'd taken wrongly, but a substantial interest on top that would have cost him dearly. When the early 20th century preacher F.B. Mayer once spoke at Keswick, the post office ran out of money orders. As like Zacchaeus, people started to sort out their affairs and make the sacrifices they'd avoided before. Jesus and his disciples, Paul and the apostles, were supported by people who shared what they had and went without what they might have had if they hadn't shared it. Paul commended the Christians in Macedonia, Philippi. He said they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then to us. Jesus said that anyone following him needed to make a commitment that was like taking up a cross. Following him had to come before everything and everyone. Following Jesus isn't an add-on, it's not an accessory. It's not a private transaction that just goes on in our head so that we can get to heaven when we die. It's a whole life commitment that affects how we behave, how we speak, how we live 24-7. He asks for everything. Eugene Peterson in the Message version of the Bible translates Romans 12, 1-2 like this. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Place it before God as an offering. That is what the widow did. That is what we're called to do with the whole of our life and is what many Christians in other parts of the world are forced to do in ways that we can barely imagine. At Easter this year, some 250 Sri Lankan churchgoers were massacred. The same weekend, not highly reported, other Christians were murdered in Nigeria. According to the Foreign Office, some 215 million Christians around the world are in danger or at risk of harassment or even death. And some 250 are killed every month for their faith. Organisations that work with, Christ, with persecuted Christians might well suggest that is an underestimate from our own foreign office. Recently an interim report on persecution of Christians uh, worldwide was commissioned by the Foreign Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, and it was chaired by the Bishop of Truro, he's the one on the left in the picture, and it claims that the overwhelming majority of persecuted religious believers in the world are Christians. 
The Bishop of Erbil in Iraq, Kurdistan, said recently that the church in, oh, sorry, Jeremy Hunt um, uh, admitted that we have been asleep on the watch when it comes to the persecution of Christians. That is a national leader vying at the moment to become the next Prime Minister. The Bishop of Erbil in Iraqi Kurdistan said recently that the church in Iraq is close to extinction and that those of us who remain must be ready to face martyrdom. The Christian Agency Open Doors produces a watch list of 50 countries where persecution of Christians includes arbitrary arrest, violent assault, destruction of Bibles and property and denial of work or health care. Converts can be forced out of their communities and sometimes killed. The stories of persecution and martyrdom that we read in the New Testament are not there for passing historical interest. Jesus warned his followers that some who followed him in every generation would be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and that they would be hated by all nations because of me. That is commitment for those who manage to keep going. That is everything. We thank God that most of us don't face such stark choices. Yet in the lesser struggles that we face, so often we can take that easy way out. We don't give everything. There's an odd story in the book of Acts about a couple called Ananias and Sapphira. They sold some property to help fund the church and they were reprimanded for their gift. It was part, but it wasn't all of the proceeds. But the reprimand was not because of that. Peter made it clear they could do what they liked with what they had. The church would have been grateful even if they'd only given a bit. The reprimand came because they pretended it was everything. They pretended they'd given it all. They wanted to appear more generous, more spiritual than they really were. They were keeping up an image. They were inauthentic Christians and like them we can maintain that image of being fully committed yet hold things back from Jesus even kidding ourselves as well as fooling others but we'll never fool God and so let's ask this morning not only what small thing do we have to offer that God can make into something great but also, what are we holding back from him? It's often not something material. It's often an attitude. It's a way of thinking that we're almost barely aware of until the Holy Spirit reminds us. I'll do that for you, Lord, but I'm going to do this my way. Or, you want me to do something? There's no way I can face doing that. And we hold back. 
We try to control our own destiny, protect our own reputation or image. But Jesus said we've got to lose it in the sense of giving everything to him if we're to find fullness of life and usefulness to God. So don't despise the day of small things. Don't shortchange God with scraps of time, resources, commitment. Because Jesus, who was rich beyond all splendor, for our sakes became poor. He gave himself everything for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself for himself of people that are his very own. That's us, eager to do what is good. That is us. And of course his call is to give everything in response. So think of those two words, small, and God can make it bigger. Everything. Because until we give everything, we won't really see the returns of his love and his favour to us. Let's pray. If the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit may well have just prompted something in your mind, something small for you to do, something you've held back that you need to give. Just use this space, this quietness for a moment to offer him that small thing and to hand over that which has been held back. Come, Holy Spirit, take us as we are. Use us as we are. Fill us afresh with your love, your grace, your power, and enable us to go out into this world to serve you as you deserve. For we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.